Hello, Signal. It's nice to have the lights on. I was a little bit worried because I'm still the paper kind of guy. I don't use an iPad. And when it was dark, I was wondering whether I was going to sound like some uh, state president who doesn't know what they're saying and wanders on with words that don't make sense. So um, here we go. But uh, it's lovely to be with you. What a beautiful day it is in Cape Town to be in God's presence and be together. Um, the worship is lovely, wasn't it? It's like a, a, a pup kind of word to describe it, really. But... Um, just a sense that it's all about God. It's not about us. It's about God. You know, God invites us into his story. God brings us into his family. And I just want to make sure that I don't get all tied up here. Um, and that's a bit about what I'm going to... Thanks. Thank you very much. That's better. Okay. Ah, even better. Thank you. Um, and one of the things that I really enjoy about the Bible is how real it is, too. And we're going through a series on, on uh, original faith, and we're looking at the life of Abram. And actually, it's about God. It's not about Abram. It's about God and what God did and how he intervened and he interacted with people like Abram. But um, the Bible doesn't leave out weird things. It doesn't sanitize passages. Sometimes you kind of look at things and go, yeah, you know, it would have been better if that, maybe, why did they write that? Just leave that out, you know? Um, and I remember a while back when uh, my wife Sandy and I were in a different church and uh, there was a lady who was a brand new believer. She didn't grow up in church. She didn't know the Bible at all. Um, she knew nothing. And she came to church on the Sunday and um, God intervened in her life and she met him in an amazing way. And she came to our cell group on the Wednesday and uh, she'd been reading the Bible, but nobody told her, like normally you'd say, you know, start in John or something like that, you know. But she just started at the beginning, like you do with a book, and she's just started reading. And she was so enthusiastic, and she came to our cell group that, that Wednesday, and she was going, wow, you know, I knew nothing about this book. I didn't even know it existed. It's amazing, she says. You know, I'm reading, yes, God's like creating the world, and then she's going on to the story. And then there's this guy called Abraham, and he, he's like listening to God, and God says, go, leave your land. And then next minute, he's like shagging the maid, and it's like, and, you know, and it was just like that. Um, and I was like, yeah, okay. Um, and that is the way the Bible is. You know, in, in the Old Testament, God doesn't leave out the good, the bad, and the ugly. But God's goodness comes through all of it. At the same time, that's not formative. So because that happened or because there's polygamy that happens in the Old Testament, it doesn't mean that that's what God is saying because it's happening contrary to what God actually, um, uh, in defiance of his ways. So the Old Testament is a, an historical narrative. It's a historical account of how God has encountered us, how God has initiated his intervention into the world and how people have responded to him um, through time. And there's a, a beautiful term which the, the Methodist church used called provenient grace, otherwise known also as common grace. And a lot of what was said and sung about this morning was a bit like that, where because of God being God, he is gracious just in his being. He's incredible. He's amazing. And so when you're in his presence, like that log fire that was spoken about or being in the pot, just by being close to God, you experience a bit of God, who God is and, and you experience his blessing um, just by being close to him. The reason why the world has not fallen into complete and utter chaos is explained also by this, because we are created in God's image. And so there's a sense of God that's just holding the world from just exploding completely. But very important, it's not salvation grace. This is common grace or provenient grace. It's God's grace just because of his oozing and his character and who he is. 
But we read the story, and what we're looking at now is about original faith in a God who reached out to us, in a God who started a journey with Abraham through covenant and which has climaxed by himself coming and dying on the cross and, and, and rising again, and that's salvation grace. And it's that that we live in today, but we look back at the original faith um, series. And so I've been assigned a, a section of Scripture quite a lot, and there are two parts to it. The first part is about Lot and his family, and then the second part is about Abraham. And it's um, from Genesis 19, verse 30 to the end of 19, and then the whole of chapter 20. But actually, when I look at it, there's a, a verse in uh, Genesis 19:29, and it should be up in there. There it is, which isn't part of the section that I was given to preach on, but actually, it has a whole lot to do with it. It says, so when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Now, that word remembered, God remembered Abraham. You know, when we think of a word like that, sometimes we think, yeah, you know, you're walking along or you're doing something, you go, oh, the broccoli on the stove. You you know, you remember the pot and it's boiling and suddenly it's like, oh, I've got to do something. This word remembered is used in the Old Testament in a number of different places. And it's also used of Noah, where it says God remembers Noah. And again, it's not a case of God, you know, doing his thing in heaven and then suddenly he goes, oh, my word, Noah's in the ark. We better do something, guys. Let's, Let's, you know, it's not that at all. In fact, the Dictionary of Old Testament Theology and Exegesis says it like this. God remembering has to do with his attention and intervention, whether in grace or judgment. So it's a beautiful thing. This whole thing that we're talking about, this original faith and this journey on, it's all about God. And it's about God remembering intentionally. Not a, oops, so, so I remember. You know, even when we don't recognize it, we don't know it. God is at work in the world. And this series about, is about God's work in the world, God's faithfulness. And so we are called to align ourselves with what God is doing in the world and to find his influence in our lives. Something that's been quite popular recently, and I'm sure you would have seen them, are um, movies or, or series on forensics, you know, cold cases and stuff like that. Um, I used to watch some of those. They're, they're quite intriguing because people will find something and then they go into the DNA and all the rest of it and they solve cases which, which have been unsolved for years. And the bottom line of all of that and in forensic is simply this. Wherever we go, we leave ourselves behind. Okay, think about that. So where we're sitting here in this hall, when you stand up, a bit of the fabric of your clothing might be stuck on the chair. Perhaps some of your skin cells have fallen off, your hair has fallen out, your fingerprints, saliva. So wherever we go, a bit of us is left behind. But the opposite is also true. Think of this. Whenever you are in God's presence, a bit of him influences you or is left behind as well. And that's so encouraging. And as I bring this word this morning, think about that. Being in God's presence, his common grace, just being close to him even, impacts and changes our lives. So in summary, Abraham was called to leave his land. This is the series we're on. And to go out, leave his family, and to go to a place that God called him to. Now, he went off. He took Lot with him. I don't know why he took Lot with him. Uh, He was told to leave his family. But anyway, Lot went with him. And then they went off. And then there was a point where they went into Egypt And uh, you'll remember that the Pharaoh looked at Sarah and thought, hmm, she looks nice, I'll have her for my harem. And uh, so there was a a deception, which Abram and Sarah said, well, it was a slight deception. They said, she's my sister. 
actually she was his sister, but his half-sister um, from another mother, uh, but actually she was his wife. And so Sarah was taken by Pharaoh, and then, of course, calamity happened, and um, Pharaoh sent them off with livestock, and they left and, and went on their way. Then Abram and Lot separated. They came to a place where, where they had too much livestock. And so it was, we've got to separate, guys. And so Lot was given the choice. He looked out and he saw these beautiful fertile plains and thought, okay, I'll go there. And off they went. Later on in the story, and I think Dave preached on that, where Lot was captured. This Lot was causing Abram a bit of trouble. He should have left him behind. But um, he was captured and then Abram came to his rescue. And then later, God covenanted with Abraham, and Terran preached beautifully on that just before Easter, where again, it was God covenanting with Abraham. It wasn't Abraham coming to God, making a plan. It was God reaching out and covenanting with Abraham. And then later, the, the section that I spoke about where our friend so enjoyed, enjoyed where Abraham then with his, his servant or his slave lady Hagar decided, no, things aren't working like they should. Let's make a plan. And so he had a child with her, Ishmael. And uh, Hagar went into the wilderness and God spoke to Hagar. And here again, he said, I will bless you and this child and I'll make you the mother of nations. Now, this isn't the covenant child, but the very fact that Hagar was there in this presence, in God's covenant people, his blessing flowed out into that. But very importantly, what he didn't say was that all nations were going to be blessed through this child because that was going to be through the child of the free woman, through, through the plan that God had in mind. And so we, it carries on, and um, Lot finds himself in, in Sodom. And then last week we found Terran preaching on the section where Abram pleads with God, and he says, save Sodom, because God wants to destroy Sodom. And he says, surely if there's so many righteous, so many righteous, and then God saves um, Lot and his family just before he destroys Sodom, and they head off to the mountains, but then they end up in a, a, a town called Zoar, and then eventually they get into, the, into a mountain cave. And so this is the first part with Lot. Genesis 19:30 to 38 should be up there, and it says the following. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old and there is no man around here to give us children, as is a custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine and then sleep with him and preserve our family line through our father. That night they got their father to drink wine and the older daughter went in and slept with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. The next day, the older daughter said to the younger, Last night I slept with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight, and you go in and sleep with him so we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also, and the younger daughter went in and slept with him. Again, he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami, and he is the father of the Ammonites today. Okay, so here's another section, which is one of those where you could go, uh, why, uh, you know, we could just leave this one out. But it's in God's Word, and there it is, and this is a section that I'm preaching on. So here it goes. But, um, you know, the first thing that struck me was that I asked, where's Lot's wealth? You know, when, when Lot was... Seen last, Lot and Abram separated because Lot had so much wealth, so much livestock, and he went out onto the plains, the fertile land, with all of his, 
his um, wealth. But here we find a man who's reduced to living in a cave because of his choices. And so he started off on the wide open plains, and then he came into the vicinity of Sodom, and soon he moved into Sodom, we find. And obviously, over time, Sodom moved into him. Um, and God destroyed Sodom, but he remembered Abraham, because God is faithful, and God had a plan. He remembered Abraham, who pleaded for Lot, and as a result of that, because of Lot's righteous past, he was saved from this destruction. But yet he gets into this situation where he allows himself to get drunk and he has sex with his daughters um, and they get pregnant through him. And what I see is an action of people who've been surrounded by godlessness for so long that they've almost become dulled, I would imagine, corrupted. They were spared, but yet there's a rebirth of Sodom in the cave after they've been spared. And it's so easy for us. I get challenged by something like this. Um, you know, it's, it's so easy to be in the world which is, which is full of stuff, which just dulls us, which not only dulls us, but pulls us away from God and what he has for our lives. And it's easy to go, Ach, you know what, I can watch that movie. It doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's just a bit of swearing. It doesn't actually impact me. Or, or it's, you know, the stuff we see on social media and all those sorts of things. They dull us, and here we have a family who clearly had been dulled um, through that. But folks, you know, when we hide in uh, caves, it doesn't usually work out. When we choose settlements and shelters of our own making, it doesn't usually work out. But Lot could have done something differently. You see, Lot, he could have gone back to Abraham. I can't see a reason why he couldn't have. There's a faith community close to him. And when he was in that dark place, if he'd gone back to Abram and, and, and come back to, to the covenant people and God repented and said, can I come live with you? I'm sure Abram would have taken him in. There would have been men for his daughters to have married and, and to have had children with. But he chose not to do that. And that so often is our response. You know, I'm of the generation of white men who, when we left school, had to go off for two years to the military and when I went into the military, I was born-again Christian. I was, I'd studied at a theological college. I was actually planning to go into ministry. Took a detour, obviously went into the army. And when I came out, I came out a very different person. Through my bush experience and stuff, I'd got into drug usage and alcohol abuse. Not straight away. During my months of basics, I was, I was quite an upstanding kind of guy, and people knew who I was, and I had my Bible next to my bed. But, but with time, because of the influence, I found myself in that space where I was a slave to stuff which, which I shouldn't have been. And here's, here's the point that I want to make, though. At that point, I could have gone home. At that point, I could have gone to my mom and dad to my family. I could have gone to the people who love me and who would have welcomed me back into the community and said, it's okay, let's help you. But I didn't. Because we don't, generally. Why don't we? Because when, when we are in that space, you tend to want to run away from God. You feel ashamed, embarrassed. You tend to want to hide instead of turning to the very place where we should be running to, um, where God is and where there's help. And so two sons are born out of this relationship in the cave. 
The first one was Moab, which sounds like father in the Hebrew. And the second, Ben-Ami, sounds like the son of my father's people. So not only were there incestuous children born out of the relationship, but the, the daughters were quite happy to name their boys after this, like, this is my father's son. Here's his name. Even name him as such. And we find that the Moabites, which came from Moab, worshipped a fertility god, and there were orgies in their worship. And in Numbers 25, when the, the Israelites came into the promised land, they encountered these Moabite women, and the, the men were beguiled by them in these sexual orgies, which had a devastating effect on the Israelites at that time. And then Ben-Ami, the Ammonites, they were known for being very cruel, cruel people in the way they engaged in warfare and in their worship. In fact, Molech, the, the god who, who was worshipped by throwing babies into a fire, was the god of the Ammonites. And that Baal who, who demanded a sacrifice of, of the, our very children came from this, from this um, relationship, Ben-Ami. But here's the thing, folks. Remember I spoke about God's graciousness? Deuteronomy 2 Verse 9 and 19, there isn't a slide there, but I'll read it to you. Deuteronomy, when, when the, the Israelites were going into the land, this is what God said to them in Deuteronomy 2 verse 9. He says, when you come to the Ammonites, do not arrest them or provoke them to war. For I, have not give, I will not give you possession of any land belonging to the Ammonites. I have given it as a possession to the descendants of Lot. And likewise in, in verse 19, he says exactly the same thing about the Ammonites. These people... Just because God is God, there's a blessing a, a, attached to that. And so often we live in that. Sometimes we think all is good. That's oh, fine. Nothing's going on, right? Because we're living in God's provenient grace. But actually, it's not the grace that God has for us. It's not his fullness. It's not the salvation that he has won for us through Jesus Christ. In Deuteronomy 23.3 then, he actually then says, the Moabites and Ammonites are forbidden to enter the assembly of God. So although there was that grace given to them that they were not, their land was not taken, at the same time he said they could not enter the assembly of God because of the practices which they were involved in. But brothers and sisters, being born in that nation, in those nations, didn't mean that God closes himself to you. And we find a beautiful story later in, in the Old Testament where Ruth, a Moabite, chose to come to the covenant people. And we know that Ruth, a Moabite, became an ancestress of both David and Jesus himself. Are you a Moabite? Are you from that group? Maybe you feel that you were born in the wrong group of people. Maybe you're in, the, in a language group or a cultural group. Or maybe you've done stuff and you feel like, I'm the Moabite. But the beauty of it is that the door of salvation is open to everyone, even the Moabites. Not because of us, but because of what God has done. It's like that pot stirring like the, like the log fire. If you get into the, into the mix, if you get into God's fire, salvation is available today. Wholeness is available today, even if you're a Moabite. And so this is the last that we hear of Lot in the Bible. And in a sense, he's a sad figure of history who kind of disappears. And separation from Abraham was separation from the future covenant kingdom. So how then should we live, I guess, is a question. 
1 John 2, 15 to 17, and there should be a slide for that one, says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. What a beautiful verse that is. Now, sometimes we think, do not love the world. I'm not going to love the world. I'm not going to love the world. I'm not going to love the world. And then your phone goes, bing, and you look at, oh, oh, that's interesting. Oh, I did that. No, I'm not going to love the world. I'm not going to love. Anybody like that? Striving, striving, striving. Don't love the world. I'll try. No. Okay, God, I, I'll try my best. Actually, it's not about that, though. You see, I read something this week where it says there are three stages of life. There's wanting, there's gathering, and then there's getting rid of. And it's a bit like that in, in life. It's all about gathering. It's about gathering. And then you get to the point where you realize, actually, I must just get rid of this stuff because it's meaningless. But if we get a glimpse of who Jesus is, then we won't love the world. You know, there's some old songs which we used to sing as a kid, which now we'd kind of go, oh, so old-fashioned. Like, what's that one with, um, turn your eyes upon Jesus? Remember that song? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. That one. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Some of the oldies are singing. But how beautiful is that? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Not, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. It's turn your eyes upon Jesus. And what happens? The things of the world grow strangely dim. So if our eyes are in the right place, then actually we kind of focus on something that's different. And the things of the world just grow strangely dim. That's a challenge to me. But so often I want to try and do things better, harder. And God is just saying, get into the fire, folks. Let me stir you into this pot. Come closer, and then the things of the earth will grow strangely dim. When we sing about how great God is, rather than how blessed I am, which is true, then actually we will feel and we'll know how blessed we certainly are. And then the second part of the, that I'm preaching, that wasn't too bad, eh? That part that I, I would rather wasn't in the Bible, but anyway. <laughs> Genesis chapter 20, and uh, we go back to Abraham. Can we have the next slides up? Yes, so there we go. Okay. So, now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, she is my sister. Sounds familiar, right? Uh, then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She's a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister, and didn't he, she also say, he's my brother? I've done this with a clear conscience and clear, clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I've kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. And then Abimelech called Abram in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me in my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abram, what was your reason for doing this? 
Abram replied, I said to myself, there's surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he's my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abram. And he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live wherever you like. Okay, here's an example. He brought male and female slaves. It's in the Bible. It doesn't mean that you should have male and female slaves, right? But there it is. It's part of, of the experience that they had. Wow. Okay, so what's going on here? Firstly, this Sarah woman must have been quite a hottie. Because, you know, she goes into Egypt and the Pharaoh checks her out and goes, Hey, that one I want her for my harem. God stops anything happening gracefully. Now she arrives at the next place and um, this King Abimelech goes, Oh, there we go, I'll have her. Now the other thing that kind of just a sidebar which kind of blew my mind is at this point Sarah is 90 years old. <laughs> Let that sink in. <laughs> she, obviously didn't, she obviously aged very well. But what is going on here? So, so Gerar is, it was quite an important place in that time. It was a, a caravan stopping point, a um, center where caravans traveling between Canaan and Egypt would stop off. It was also a royal city. And so Abimelech was the king there. And uh, Abraham arrived in there, and he wasn't planning on staying. He wasn't planning on settling. He was nomadic. But he had these huge group of people with him, lots of, of livestock and um, family and so he would have been noticed, you know, as he arrived, they would have said, Yo, here comes someone, he's obviously an important chap. Not only that, but he had a bit of a reputation. Remember, he had to go and save Lot, so he had a bit of a reputation of his, his military might. So he was a bit like a, a traveling prince, almost. And when people of influence like that moved into an area where there was a king, they would make agreements. They would, they would um, have a mutual support, promising that they'd look after each other. And the way that they cemented that was by taking a daughter in marriage. But of course, Abraham didn't have a daughter, did he? But he had a sister. And so the sister, all 90 years old of her, who must have been a pretty good looker, was taken as part of that. But folks, here's the thing. Abraham could have said, no, she's my wife. And in that time and in those customs, it was a very patriarchal society and husband's rights were protected in ancient culture. And if he'd said that, chances are that Abimelech would have gone, oh, okay, who else would do or make another plan? But he didn't. Why didn't Abraham do that? You see, this is original faith and we hold Abraham up as the guy. And yes, he, he, he followed God's ways. He left his land and he did some amazing things. But at other times, he did stuff like I do. You know, he's a normal oak. Um, because God, God was faithful, but yet Abraham didn't trust him. God had made a, a, a plan. And Abraham was willing to deceive and lie, even if it meant that that plan wouldn't come about. And so it challenges me as I'm sure it challenges all of us, what are the things that we are afraid of? What are those things in our lives we're so afraid of it that we'll make our own plan, where eventually we become slave to our own things rather than going, God, you've got this. I know you're faithful. God, I know you're great. I'm going to trust you here. But instead, we do like Abraham, where he says, no, 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 she's my sister. Okay, you can have her. 
You see, the conversion of a soul can happen like this, and it does instantly. It's amazing because God has done the work in Calvary, and when we come to him and we say in repentance and faith, I want to be your child, like that. God says, you're my child. He brings us into his family. Our, our, our soul is converted just like that, but our character takes a bit of time in transforming and it's a task of a lifetime. Even if we've been born again for years and years and years, there are things in us that, that we, will, we struggle with. But God wants to retune us so that we have a beautiful music coming from us. And sometimes we have those hidden seeds of sin. Sometimes people don't even know about them. Stuff we've been struggling with for years and years, little secret sins. But when the circumstances are right, that's when Sodom gets reborn in our caves of those sins. And so God calls us out in his mercy and his grace, and he wants to reconcile us to him. He wants us not to struggle, but he wants us to submit to him. You see, sin undermines the calling to bless the world. And Abraham had that calling, you will bless the world, and we are part of Abraham's offspring, and we're going to bless the world um, through Jesus, who we share with other people. But when we sin, it hurts people. It hurts those closest to us, like Sarah was with Abram. It also undermines God's reputation in the world. Abimelech must have looked onto this guy and gone, uh, how often don't we do things where people will look at us and go, really? But some of the best people in the world, have you noticed this? Aren't born again? I've met some of the most amazing people who I go, Wow. They, 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 they're amazing, but they yet don't know God. And that, again, is because of God's prevenient, amazing grace that he has poured out. But it is not a salvation grace. And although they might be people who have a wonderful personality, they are not in a place where they know God. And that also reminds us that it's not our doing. It's not our moral fiber that has anything to do with it. It's all about God. Notice in verse 11 that I read, when Abimelech turns to Abraham and he says to him, why did you do this? Why did you deceive me? Why did you put me in danger? Abraham's answer is, I thought that surely there is no fear of God in this place. Wow. Abraham made a plan because he thought that surely there was no fear of God in this place. And yet you have Abimelech. Abimelech who had integrity to honor his marriage, who had the, the wisdom to ask him to come and pray. How often don't we say, I thought surely there's no fear of God in this place. But yet we find that God is at work everywhere. Like I said at the beginning, God is at work in all places, even if we don't see it. He's at work. And the call for us is to trust him, to have faith in him and his goodness, and to walk with him even when we have a place where we're in fear, to, to give that over to him. But then here's the thing. If that's true, if God is at work everywhere, then God is at work right here now. Yeah? Right now, God is at work in this place. And he says, how do we respond to him? If he's at work right now in this place, then we, we have a, a, an answer to say, how do we respond to this amazing God? How do we respond to God this morning in our fears? Do we feel disqualified? Are you a Moabite? Yet remember Ruth. Are we running from God like we so often do, like I did when I was in that space in the army, when God is saying, no, come to the people 
who I've placed you with. Come to me. Find my grace. Find my restoration. What fear grips us that, that creates habits and things in our lives which just turn us away from God rather than trusting in him? Is there sin sitting inside us which we need to deal with? And it might be latent now, but in the right circumstances, the right circumstances, inverted commas, Sodom is going to be reborn in our caves. You see, our choices have our consequences. When we turn our eyes upon Jesus, the world becomes dim. I have a little illustration which I've used with children, and I've wondered whether I should, and I thought, yeah, let me use it. And illustrations always have a, a limit to it, because it is just an illustration. I want you to imagine that this rope is time. And, um, Roger. Thanks, Roger. Didn't know he was going to be abused. There goes time, all right? You can just dump it down there on the floor. That's fine. Now, again, it has a limitation. But this is us here, that little white spot. This here is yesterday, a few minutes ago, last year, etc. And that rope stretching out there is eternity tomorrow, the next week, the next month, etc., etc. Now, I had a great aunt, Dolly, who lived into her ripe age of 90. I'm sure she didn't look like Sarah, unless I was just a little boy who saw her as an old lady in her 90s. And she passed away in her 90s. My father lived to 62, and that's when he died. A few weeks ago, we buried one of the children at our school, Mia, and she was 11, Tragic. And when we were asking the questions, why? I thought this. Why would my Auntie Dolly have 90 years, but my dad only 62? And then why are we upset or do we throw our fists in God's face because Mia had 11? You see, we've all got a life. Whether it's 11, 53, 62, whatever it is, that's the life. And the choices we make in this life, as small as it is, impacts eternity. It may be that you have never even acknowledged God, and God is here saying, I'm at work. Acknowledge me. Turn to me. And that decision will not only impact that little white spot of your life, but all of eternity. It may be things that we're not even aware of, Wise decisions, things that we make by turning our eyes to Jesus in the lifestyle that we do, which impact other people and impacts their eternity. And so God this morning, I feel, is calling us to say, turn your eyes upon Jesus and let the things of the world grow strangely dim. Remember that God is faithful. It's God who's faithful. And he calls us, to share life with him. Let's pray. Lord God, your love colors the dawn. Your voice is the power of thunder. Your hand is the healer of weak. Your love fills oceans and your voice calms the sea. And you created me. Your eyes are so amazing, so deep, They're like crashing waves on a cloudy sea. And these pounding waves, they consume us. And there's so much more to you, so much we do not know, so much love we've not yet encountered.
So much you overflow. And just when we think that we know your complexities, you step into the light. And just when we think we know your voice, you open up our ears. It's like trying to know every single glowing star on a cloudless night. But your depth and your vastness keep running after us. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We say, God, how great thou art. And Lord God, we want to run towards you. Because you've stepped out of eternity into time and space. You lived as a man. You were rejected by your father for us. And now you reach out, even today. We thank you that you're at work this morning in our lives. And all it takes is for us to acknowledge that, to turn our hearts to you and say, God, have your way in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.